What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you this evening as we get ready to go to Las Vegas. Now, when we played the Raiders before, we went to Oakland, we went to Mexico City, then we played them here in 2019, and now we're going to Vegas, baby. Yes, going to Vegas. And I know a lot of you are going to Vegas as well. Remember, game out there is going to be 105 in the afternoon, 305 if you're staying here. So two-hour time difference between Vegas and here, which is kind of fun when you fly out there because you gain two hours. But on the way back, whoa, man, you're telling me it was 9 when we took off and now it's, I don't know, it's uh, 2 in the morning. Uh, either way, you do the math. But it'll be a fun trip nonetheless, even more fun if the Texans are able to Fly home with a W, hoping that we are able to do that. So we've got plenty of people tonight to talk to, talk about on tonight's show. We're going to hear from Nick Casario here in just a second. We've also got Warren Moon joining us on the show. He sat down with Mark Vanderman. That's going to be a fun one to catch up with good old Warren Moon. We also have our Deep Slant interview of the week. That's with Jalen Petrie. we got a little in the lab. Mark will stop by, and then we'll go around the NFL and look at some of the news items that are hitting the NFL wire, if you will. But we kick off every Wednesday show sitting down with the GM of your Houston Texans. That is Nick Casario. It's me. It's Mark. It's Nick. It's right now. Here in the Hyundai Texans radio studio visiting with General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, back from the bye. How's it going? Good morning, fellas. Good to be here. All right, before we go anywhere, uh, Jack Easterby no longer with the organization. And in Cal McNair's statement, there was talk about duties moving forward around football operations. What light can you shed on that for us? Yeah, um, you know, tough day for you know, a lot of people in the organization. You know, Jack had a lot of impact on a lot of people. Um, did a lot of good things for the organization in the period that he was here. So it's certainly it's important to acknowledge that and, and respect that. Um, you know, we'll look at things just from a football operation perspective and allocate the responsibilities accordingly. Um, there'll be some heavy lifting that we'll kind of have to redistribute, but, you know, we'll do the best we can moving forward and just try to make sure that we're doing things that are required week to week to make sure that we're prepared both on the field and then behind the scenes kind of logistically. Nick, during the bye, I know there's always talk about self-scout and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm sure that got done as you went through and self-scouted and did you have an opportunity to see games, go watch players? How did you spend the bye week? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Um, you know, did some housekeeping on kind of our team. I think it's important always to kind of take inventory of your team, where you are, whether it's players, individual players, whether there's things schematically that you're doing well, where there's some areas that you might be able to improve. You really want to focus on your team as much as possible. And really, more than anything, maybe kind of getting a jump on the preparation relative to the next opponent. So, Obviously, for spent a lot of time on Vegas and be able to, to work on them a little bit and kind of get ahead on Tennessee as well. They were actually in the bye uh, as well, so there's no game for them to play. Mm -hmm. um, Philadelphia kind of following the, the Tennessee game on the short week. So I think more than anything, trying to stay ahead on some of the preparation relative to the next opponents. And then the information from a college standpoint is very fluid, and that continues and just try, trying to stay as up-to-date as possible on that. On a Sunday, we talked about this because – Sometimes on a Sunday we don't really know what to do. Like, what do we do? Like, of a bye week, of a bye <laughs> during a game week. Yeah, yeah during a game week, we got that figured out. But on a bye week, so we talk about watching Red Zone. Do you watch Red Zone? Do you ever I, watch it? I don't have Red Zone, so I wouldn't be able. Have to. you ever seen it? Do you? Uh, I've I've seen it just in passing when you're going up in the press box oh, yeah, and yeah, seeing yeah, yeah, the different yeah, yeah. games, but. It, honestly, it, I mean, we have it playing throughout the building as yeah. well, where teams, uh, 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 
games kind of rotate there a little mm-hmm. bit, but I mean, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I don't have red zone package. So, huh. you know, well, I get busy. more out of watching just the right. actual film once the tape comes in. Then you can really focus on some of the things and make your comments on I, the opposing players. I can go. totally see that not being your thing. Like the focus, no. like I could totally see that because it's just for bounce, bounce, bounce. It's bounce. great yeah. for the fans. It's yeah, a tool, it really. It's yeah. a great tool for the fans that want to kind of stay up on the various teams, kind mm-hmm. of their team, see what's going on around the league. Yeah. And I think sometimes you can. it's a little too much. So yeah. try to focus on one thing and it's a little bit easier that way. Following a buy, what's your thought? What does the data say? Whatever data there is on rust versus rest coming off a weekend off. It's got to be beneficial overall, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, anytime the players have a chance to recover, it's going to be beneficial. And you don't get really many opportunities during the course of the year because you're kind of going through a normal course of the week, play a game on Sunday, and then you go through Monday through Saturday, and then you can play the game, and then you kind of transition. So it's an opportunity for the players to kind of decompress there a little bit. And I think once we come, came in the building yesterday, got on the practice field a little bit, and most importantly, just got to get them moving a little bit and off today, and then mm-hmm. we'll kind of transition back to a normal Wednesday, Thursday, Friday preparation, travel on Saturday, and get ready to play the game on Sunday. So anytime you have an opportunity to kind of take the foot off the gas there a little bit, it's beneficial as long as you use it wisely. But you still want to stay, from a player standpoint, you want to stay active. Like, you don't want to do nothing. You want to stay active, but there's just not as much physical um, demands as normally are placed on you on a, on a normal weekend. Nick, facing the Raiders, and I want to dive into the Raiders, but you got a couple of really close friends that are running the organization right now, Josh McDaniels and, and Dave Ziegler. Because you've been in the league as long as you have, it feels like everybody knows everybody in some sense. So it feels like your acquaintances maybe with a lot of people, but these are two guys that you know very, very well. What's that like not only playing them, but preparing to play them, knowing – you know, the things you know about them and what they know about you over the years. How does that kind of play into a week like this against the Raiders? Yeah, it's talked about a lot because you you look around the league and there's a lot of relationships that are developed, a lot of people in the building with each other, and then they kind of leave and they kind of spread their wings and go elsewhere. So just have a lot of personal respect and professional respect for both Dave and Josh. Um, our relationship, I mean, both, both individuals goes back a long way, 1995, 96, when we were together at John Carroll. And there's some other folks in the building had the opportunity to work together with in New England as well. Jerry Shaplinski is a close friend of mine. Patrick Graham is on the defensive mm-hmm. staff. So there's a lot of people that have familiarity. But ultimately, it's going to come down to the player's ability to execute on the field. So understanding what they're doing schematically in all three phases and being able to take that information and part it to the players, ultimately, that's going to supersede anything else. But, I mean, really a lot of respect and appreciation for you know both of them uh, you know what they've done over the course of their career, our working relationship – you know, and really the relationship goes a lot deeper than just kind of surface level football. So certainly wishing them well. I think they're putting together a good team and a good program. Um, I think they're going to have an opportunity to be very successful here moving forward. You're going to face opposition each week, and they just so happen to be on the other side. So, you know, I'm sure we'll our relationship will continue beyond, you know, the one game and the, and the interaction. But how difficult is it, if it's difficult at all, to block those things out while the game is in progress? Does all of that sort of melt away and it's just about the players on the field? Yeah, you have to. I mean, you'll exchange your pleasantries either before or after the game, and then what goes on on the field, really it's going to come down to the execution um, of what your players do. So do we do better in those situations than their team? And in the end, that's what's going to be the biggest difference in the game. So let's dive into the Raiders. Derek Carr quarterback, Devontae Adams at wide receiver. I mean, the names are known throughout the league. But Max Crosby is arguably the best edge rusher right now in the league. I mean, he's been phenomenal. And on the other side, the guy that's been doing it for a long time, who you know, Chandler Jones. 
Thoughts about the Raiders? What do you see from the Raiders? Yeah, really a lot of high-end talent. This is a very talented team. Um, they made a lot of uh, key acquisitions in the offseason, whether it's trades um, and rather, or whether it was extending some of their players internally. I mean, I think they spent, I mean, over $300 million or some ridiculous amount of money and made significant com uh, commitments to some really good players. So present a lot of challenges. Um, offensively, you know, Josh is a very game plan specific coach and you'll see them in 11 personnel. You'll see them in 21 personnel. You'll see them in jumbo personnel. So whatever they have to do, I think Jacobs is kind of a, underneath the surface, quietly one of the better backs in the league. And I think you saw that on display in a Kansas City game. I mean, they were, you know, he ran about 25, 30 times, whatever it was, and they couldn't tackle him. So um, there's an example actually going back. And when you look at him as a player coming out, didn't have as many opportunities relative to some of the other backs they had on campus. But when he played, you could see his skill level and his actual production. He was as productive in a passing game as he was yep. as, a, as a runner. So multi-purpose back that's got good lower body strength, good center, lower center gravity, uh, breaks a lot of tackles. He's hard to tackle and, you know, he's a good athlete in space. So, and they do a good job in a running game. You know, Yach's been a nice addition to them, um, giving them some uh, flexibility and versatility in terms of the fullback spot. So good backs, you know, good stable of backs, uh, really good quarterback. You know, Derek's been um, as consistent a quarterback and as durable a quarterback as any in the league. And Devontae has been one of the best receivers in the league for, you know, a number of years now. And, you know, extended Waller in the offseason where Waller's an interesting study as well. So here's a guy, six-round draft pick, played in kind of a triple option, wishbone offense at Georgia Tech. So you didn't see a lot of production. You know, he gets drafted by Baltimore in the sixth round as a receiver. And eventually kind of transitions to tight end. Um, I'd say similar to Crosby, he's kind of dealt with some things on a personal level. He's been able to persevere um, and a credit to him. And I mean, he, he presents a lot of problems because he's big, he's fast, um, and he's a you know, huge target for the quarterback moving across the field. So he presents a matchup issues. So Renfro is good inside the formation. Moreau's probably a good complimentary tight end to Waller. Um, and they've kind of had some moving parts, you know, on the offensive line. So present some challenges offensively. And like we talked about last week, I mean, Crosby's a menace whatever phase he plays. Yep. So it's on defense, punt block, uh, <laughs> field goal rush. Um, and then Chandler's been as productive an edge player in the league as there's been for a number of years. And then Diablo is a guy, you know, kind of underrated, made the transition from safety to off the ball linebacker, you know, leads the team in tackles, you know, long, athletic, rangy. Um, having good players in the secondary. I know they put Hobbs on IR yesterday, kind of played with a broken hand or whatever it was. So, And they play a lot of nickel defense. So kind of in the defensively with Patrick, and very scheme-specific, game plan-specific. So they're kind of mirrors of each other offensively and defensively in terms of how they want to approach a game. Um, and a kicking game presents some challenges as well. So this is a good football team. I mean, I know what their record is, but it's a really good football team, a lot of good players. So you know, we're going to certainly have our, our work cut out for us come Sunday. Crosby, new baby, right? We could be looking at sleep deprivation. <laughs> All right, so there's that. I don't think that's going to matter with him. That, guy. Yeah. that guy's incredible. We'll, yeah. we'll keep our eye out. Uh, Nick, going to Vegas, I still have to get my mind around an NFL team in Vegas. It's not like going to Green Bay or something. So is there anything unique logistically you can share with us about traveling to play an NFL game in Vegas? Because I imagine the organization, the Raiders themselves, have had to deal with a lot of that. Yeah, I've only been to Vegas one time, so I'm not really the uh, expert on Vegas. Um, so I think kind of where the, you know, the stadium is situated is kind of, you know, downtown a little bit, and their facility is kind of, I mean, 10, 15 minutes away. So I think each city presents its own logistical challenges. So, you know, some teams have their facility in the stadium. Other teams are kind of off campus. So, 
you know, really in the end, everybody, every team and situation has to adapt to whatever the circumstances are. So I'm not really the Vegas expert. Um, I know it's a team when you go back and look at their history. I mean, there's been a lot of things that have happened organizationally from starting a franchise in Oakland and then going to Los Angeles and then right. going back to Oakland and then transitioning to Vegas. Um, you really look at the key figures through the history of the franchise. You know, it's really Mr. Davis, you know, mm -hmm. start, I mean, really made his mark. John Madden, Tom Flores, you know, John Gruden. I'd say those are some of the key, you know, when you look at the arc of their history, um, now kind of this latest rendition, you know, trans, you know, transitioning to Vegas, and then with Josh and Dave coming in, so kind of a, a new era, if you will. So a lot of history, uh, one of the most reputable organizations in the history of the league. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, <laughs> certainly a lot of challenges in front of us. It's our fourth regular season game against them since 2014. We have played in four different locations, <laughs> which is wild. I mean, yeah. Houston, Mexico City, Oakland, and now Las Vegas, which is interesting. Nick, you said something earlier. I want to go back to, if you don't mind, you're talking about Patrick Graham, you're talking about the defense and kind of a game plan defense. How the difficulty I would think in facing a team that is that way is trying to figure out, okay, how do they think we're going to attack such that we got to figure out how they're going to attack us? How difficult is that to sort of prepare for, to make that kind of educated guess of what they're going to do against you? <laughs> That's the million-dollar question each yeah. week. That's what you're really trying to do. So you have to look at what you're doing offensively, how you think a team might play you on the opposing side within their scheme. Um, I think, you know, they have probably some scheme flexibility in terms of how they play. I wouldn't necessarily pigeonhole them as a 30 team or a 40 team. Right. They're really a nickel defensive team with two good edge players. And then really it's about the front distribution, the front structure. So what are the things that you do that they're going to try to take away? So you have to be able to combat that offensively. So that's kind of the chess match going back and forth. I think the way that they that you've have used Abram is indicative yeah. of that. So he's a safety, but he plays down there line of scrimmage. So they play a lot of nickel defense. So it's really about distribution of people and spots more than here's their front, here's their base defense or whatever that entails. Right. So just having an understanding of what they're trying to do on the other side of the ball. What are some of the things that you do offensively? How are they going to try to combat that to your point, John? Really, that's what it comes down to each week. Nick, watching Red Zone, we were talking about that earlier, and all the other NFL games this weekend, it gives me an extra bit of appreciation for Texans special teams. So can you discuss that for us, how Frank Ross and his bunch are doing? Because I notice every time we kick off to the 1 or inside the 5, it feels like you're stopping the opponent inside the 20, sometimes inside the 15, getting that result a lot. And not that you're seeking that all the time. Sometimes you kick it deep. But that's just one of the aspects. Yeah, and you're really trying to figure out any area where you could create an advantage for your football team. So whether it's offensively or it's defensively, whether it's in the kicking game. So, you know, Frank and Sean do a really good job. We allocate a lot of time, a lot of resources to that, I would say, group in that area. Um, we're fortunate to have some pretty good players in that area, from MJ to Blake to Dare, who've made an impact, JRM. So the kicking game's important, and your commitment to that phase is reflective in how you approach and handle it. So in the end, each phase is going to probably help you win a game one week to the other. I mean, you never really know when that's going to be. And I think every, as long as everybody understands the philosophy behind it, why we're doing it, and then each week if we have to make an adjustment or modification, going back a few weeks ago, able to execute the fake punt, you know, or whether it's situational punting there at the end of the Jacksonville mm -hmm. game where, you know, we're midfield, punt the ball down there, kind of kick it out of bounds, keep it out of Agnew's hands. So we've talked about this previously any ways you can maybe find some hidden yards that create some field position advantage or give your team an advantage, you know, we're going to look for those. So, you know, the, I think the key is, is whatever you think you're doing well, try to maintain that level of performance 
week to week so that it's good one week and then the next week it's not as good. You want to maintain some level of consistency overall. So you'll be pretty fortunate in that area. And again, Sean and, and Frank, you know, do a really good job in that in that phase. Nick, I know there's a lot of luck that goes into keeping guys healthy, but how much has the continuity on the offensive line paid off the fact that starting in week two when Scotty stepped in at Denver, you've had that same offensive line for the last four games as opposed to last year where you had, and of course COVID plays a factor. I get all that, but you've had continuity for the last four games. How has you, you, you seen that manifest itself in the offensive line play? Yeah, that's always probably the one group. If you can have sort of the same five guys on the field, I mean, it helps everybody. They can work together. I think there, there's so much communication that goes on, literally each snap in the span of two to three seconds. So from the mic identification and then getting that information from the center to the guard, the guard to the tackle, and the tackle to the tight end if there's pass protection involved. So the more you have a sense for that person next to you and the more you work with that individual, you would think it's going to be beneficial to everybody involved. So – you know, since JB's been out and Scott has stepped in, like you alluded to, and that group has kind of been together. And, you know, fortunately, they've been able to stay on the field. I'm sure at some point that's going to change. So, you know, anytime you have consistency and continuity, it helps. I mean, you think in our look at our situation and you look at, honestly, kind of what the Vegas has had to go through. They've had a lot of, I would say, moving parts in the offensive line, a lot of people in and out. Um, looks like they're starting to settle on one specific group here, you know, moving forward. So, um, that's the one group, though, you, those five guys work together on every play. And the more, you know, they're together, it's you would think it's going to be more beneficial to everybody involved. Nick, a lot of uh, traveling Texans are going to the game in Las Vegas. Is there anything to do there other than the game <laughs> itself that you're aware of? Just asking. <laughs> just make sure you don't lose all your money all at once. Um, try to just remember the casinos were built on people that go out there and yeah. spend money Thank in the you. casinos. So let's not right. lose sight yeah. of that. So all those nice hotels, yeah. the Bellagio. I mean, there's a reason they they look as nice as they are. I got, go. I got a feeling that your one trip to Vegas was different than my one trip to Vegas. <laughs> I got a feeling. I don't right. know. I, just I was much there. younger, I guess. We're gonna have an unplugged version of this show <laughs> yes. later. All right, Nick. Thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Man, I'm telling you, my trip to Vegas was fun. We'll talk about that with Mark a little bit later in the show. But boy, I, my first trip to Vegas was a blast. And listen, y'all know this about me. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't do any of that stuff. I am, as my kids like to call me, they call me the golden child because I didn't do any of that growing up. I don't do any of it now. Uh, so I'm this square in their eyes. But I love Vegas, baby. I love Vegas. I have not been in any shows. I sat down at the blackjack table and played. I'll tell you that story a little bit later in the show. But Vegas is fun. Even more fun with a win. More fun with a win. Although I would like to take a weekend with Nick Casario to Vegas and see how that goes. That could be kind of interesting, too. Maybe that's down the road. We'll see. Also making the trip to Las Vegas is Jalen Petrie. He sits down with DP Sitter for our Deep Slant interview of the week next right here on Texans All Access. It's Texans All Access coming at you on a Wednesday evening. A wonderful Wednesday evening, these are the days and nights you just absolutely love in the city of Houston. I mean, just awesome. I love this weather. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, your host for this evening. Cannot wait to get to Las Vegas on Sunday. Actually, we'll get there on Saturday, but the game on Sunday, and hopefully a W follows our trip. And a W will happen. We'll get a great game from our next guest. That would be rookie Jalen Petrie, 
two of us played our high school ball on the southwest Houston side. I, all the way out in Richmond Rosenberg, Lamar Consolidated High School. And Jalen just had his number retired at Stafford High School. Congratulations to him, number 24. That's my favorite number because that was mine in college. So good to see Jalen Petrie putting 2-4 up in the rafters at Stafford High School. He sat down with D.P. Sidhu. It's time for our Deep Slant interview of the week. D.P., take it away. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest this week, Jalen Petrie. Jalen, coming off the bye, first of all, how was it? What did you do? Anything exciting? Yeah, I actually got my high school jersey retired you during did. the bye week. So, you know, it was a pretty chill bye week, but got to, you know, spend some time at my high school, you know, talk to the team and, you know, saw a lot of my old teachers and teammates. So it was real good to, you know, get back to Stafford. Is that the first time you've been back to Stafford High School since you graduated or had you been back for games? Uh, that was the first game I've gotten back to, yeah, because I've been just so busy with my season and, you know, just trying to, you know, um, take care of everything I need to take care of. So, yeah, it was the first time I got back to a game. Is the, the coaching staff the same or has it changed much since you were there? It hasn't really changed that much. Head coach is still the same and a couple of position coaches are still the same. You know, a couple changed here and there, but nothing okay. too drastic. What was your advice to the kids? Um, keep working, stay consistent, and, you know, listen to your coaches. My, those coaches helped me out so much and helped me, you know, take my game to a bigger level than it was when I arrived there. So um, that was my advice to them. That was probably so cool for a bunch of high school kids to have an NFL player walk in and, and talk to them on the bye. How about for yourself? I mean, a quarter of the games in the books, I mean, when you look back at how your NFL career has started, what have you thought so far where you started to, to where you are now, where you've improved, where you'd like to get better? Yeah, I've seen some some improvements, a lot of things that I still think I can work on. But overall, I feel like it's it's been great. You know, the coaches, my teammates, everybody has welcomed me in and made me feel, you know, um, like I said, very welcome and um, allowed me to be myself. So, you know, I'm very thankful for that. And, you know, it's been fun so far. You know, I want to continue to build on those first five games and continue to get better for my teammates. I know everyone says the speed of the NFL is just so much faster, but I feel like just in watching you, you always sort of seem to know what was going on. I mean, maybe that's just perception, mm -hmm. but you're always talking out there on the field. And did it feel easier to you than you maybe thought it was going to be coming from college? Did it feel as hard? Did it feel harder? You know, what was that transition like for you? Yeah, the transition was a little bit harder during the spring and the summer with the coaches, you know, being out there, Learning something for the first time was real hard, but I feel like uh, that wake-up call helped me to, like, dive in even harder. And um, when I arrived game one, I felt like it was it was a little bit easier than I expected. Um, but I do credit my coaches and my teammates for helping me with that because it wasn't always that way. Like, it was very hard for me early on. But, you know, just continue to study and continue to get those reps helped me a lot. What kind of studying guy are you? Are you like a film study guy? Are you uh you got to be out on the practice field, get more reps? Like how what's your way of learning? Uh a balance of both, you know. I think walkthroughs help me a lot because you know it slows everything down and you get to see how things truly unfold, but um I also love to just watch film and just get a feel for, you know, uh, what teams like to do and, you know, just formation recognition. I think that's the biggest thing that I like to, um, you know, focus on when I'm watching film in order to, you know, play fast when I see certain things in the game. You have probably one of the 
best pregame rituals. You told Drew Doherty that you watch He Got Game before every game. Do you still do that? I do. Before you do you watch the whole movie? So I, I don't or do you watch, watch parts of it. I watch parts. So um I used to watch the whole movie the night before the game, but it just gets a little hard, you know, with the change of schedule and depending on <laughs> Is when it you two play. hours? Yeah, it's a two hour movie. <laughs> okay. So if we have a late game, I can watch it. Like it's no problem. But you know, earlier games at twelve, it's a little bit harder. But I definitely get um the clips that I need to get in. Is that, when did you start doing that? Last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, last year in college, I started doing that. You and, just uh, like one day were like, I'm going to watch this movie, and then you went out and just balled out or something? Uh, It was like in, I think the spring, I was watching a movie, and it just gave me like good vibes, and you know, I just wanted to keep it going, so um, I kept watching it, and you know, it's been a ritual since then. A lot of people have talked about just you on the field. Joe Dana, your safeties coach, just talked about your poise, how you're so calm throughout the game. Do you are you a calm guy on the field? Do you do you have nerves when you're out there? Uh, surprisingly, no. I honestly, I feel like everybody says yes, but for some reason, you just don't seem super nervous. Yeah, I honestly don't get nervous anymore. The m- most nervous I am during the week is in practice when I'm seeing things for the first time because it hmm. is it is new. But um, by the time I get to the game, my coaches and teammates, we've seen everything we need to see, and at that point, it's it's really time to have fun. So you know, I'm out there just chilling and enjoying, you know, the game atmosphere with my teammates. You're also unusual in the sense that you have a master's degree. You got your master's at Baylor. It's in educational psychology. Psychology. I was going to say philosophy. I knew that didn't sound right. Okay. So toughest class in your master's program? I would say probably it was like a, um, a educational, like research class, just dealing with all the charts and stuff when you're, um, looking at data and the different ways that you have to put it in certain, um, databases you know that was a bit hard for me but ended up you know taking care of it with the studying and the help from the teachers all right so you grew up in Stafford you went to Baylor you've always played football in Texas was there ever a shot that you might leave Texas for college I know you went to Baylor but did you ever think that you'd be playing outside of Texas or was it more of a surprise that you stayed close to home I wouldn't say it was a surprise but my dream school was LSU growing up my, oh, okay. both of my parents are from Louisiana so um, we're big LSU fans and yeah, that was where I wanted to go, but ended up not working out. And thankfully, I ended up at Baylor, and it worked out well. I'd say I'd say it worked out pretty well. And oh, now yeah, for sure. And now you've got Derek Stingley, who did go to LSU. And I think one of my favorite moments from this year was after you got your first two picks against Chicago, there's a picture of you holding the ball and then Derek, like, really just framing you up nicely. What's the relationship like between the two of you, just being rookies and being so highly drafted and now starting? Yeah, that's my dog, like. Uh, we've been through a lot of the same, you know, um, things coming in as a rookie, you know, playing early and, you know, just growing together. I think it's been great. You know, he's a good role model, a guy that I look up to, you know, a smart guy, a guy that can do everything you need him to do on the field. And, you know, I'm happy that he's my teammate. And, you know, it's cool just to be around him on a day to day because, you know, he makes the days easier and funner. You, you're so outgoing. He seems a little bit quieter. Is that what your friendship, your relationship is like? Just as two teammates? Um, not really. You know, he, he I wouldn't say he's as shy as people think he is. You know, he he's a pretty chill guy, but he, he he's outgoing as well. Like you just like if he's cool. We just with don't you, see it. Yeah, yeah. If he's cool with you, you'll you'll get to know that. All right, and how about for yourself? You're still living at home. I read a really cool article about you living at home with your parents. Mm-hmm. How's that going? I was going great. You know, everything is good. My parents take good care of me. Um, and, you know, it's a good family atmosphere at home. You know, I come home from games and chop it up with my dad and, you know, just 
chill. Like it, it's a good atmosphere to be living with your parents, and you save a lot of money. So. And you're really close to the stadium. You're not too far away. Exactly. All right, Jalen. For the rest of the season, you know what? What are some goals? Some things that you want to to get better at and work on for yourself as you get into this next stretch of the season. Yeah, I want to become more vocal on the field, help my teammates out when I see certain things, like I talked about the formations and recognizing certain plays. Um, and then I just want to run faster to the ball and, you know, continue to have fun with my teammates. Those are two big things that, you know, I try to do week in and week out, and I'm just going to try to, you know, keep building on that. Yeah, we'd love to see more of those interceptions and more pictures of you and Sting together for sure. Definitely need more turnovers <laughs> too. That's a big one. And more wins. Jalen, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you too. Man, I've been in the building since 2014. We've got more rookies for interviews than I can ever remember. It's very, very cool uh, that we've been able to get these players on the air. And, and DB's had an opportunity to talk to Jalen Petrie, Damian Pierce. I mean, they've all been really, really cool. So it's been awesome to get these rookies on the air and let you guys, the listeners, the fans, the followers, get an opportunity to hear from them. Whereas over the years, they've been kind of shielded. No, 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 rookies. No, now they're kind of put them out there. So I like that. And Jalen's. Great. Absolutely fantastic. Great player. Great dude. Can't wait to see what he does on Sunday and throughout his Texans career. All right, we get back. How about a little Warren Moon? Yes, the voice of the Texans. Mark Vandermeer caught up with Warren Moon. That's next right here on Texans All Access. It's time for the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. Now, I decided to make this one easy for you because I know a lot of you are going to end up going out to Las Vegas, so you're already thinking ahead. You need something easy tonight. The number is one. One, since the AFL-NFL merger, the city of Houston's professional teams have had one Hall of Fame quarterback that wasn't here just for a cup of coffee. Man, even I can't even think if there was anybody here for a cup of coffee that made the Hall of Fame. George Blanda played for the Oilers back in the 60s. He ended up going to the Hall of Fame, but he's thought of more as more of as a Raider, and that was the AFL. That's why I said NFL-AFL merger, because one, actually, is the uniform number of the quarterback that played for Oilers in the late 80s, early 90s. That was Warren Moon. After an incredible career up in Canada with the Edmonton Eskimos, now the Edmonton Elks. Moon came to Houston 1983. That coincided with my arrival in Houston out of the CFL. He put on a show every single day. I've, I've said he throws the prettiest ball I've ever seen. I mean, it was just incredible to watch him throw the ball so effortlessly. And he was so fun to watch. Well, he caught up with Mark Vandermeer, or vice versa. And they talked about any number of things. We don't have any men beyond the mics this week, but we do have Warren Moon, who is always behind the mic and one heck of a quarterback. That Schlumberger Stats Challenge brought to you by Schlumberger. Check out the Schlumberger Stats Challenge at HoustonTexans.com and check out Warren Moon with Mark Vandermeer right here. Warren Moon joining us right now on Texans Radio. Warren, first of all, welcome and congratulations on being a Texas gridiron legend. I know that has to be special to you. You've had so many honors in your life, but here's another one. And what are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, thanks uh, for having me on the show, Mark. And uh, yeah, it is uh, quite an honor because, you know, whenever you can get, uh, you know, put in the same company as a mean Joe Green or Earl Campbell or Mike Singletary or some of the other great names that are that are uh, gridiron legends. Uh, it, it's something that makes you feel very special. So to be involved in this, this, uh, 
this group of guys that I'm going in with this year with Rodney Hampton, guys I played against, uh, Ed Tutal Jones, uh, Santana Dotson. I mean, all these guys were great players in their own right and, and really um, contributed a lot to Texas football. So uh, it's just an honor and a privilege to be a part of that group. Warren, you've lived a lot of places, but what does Houston mean to you? I know you come back here, and I know you're involved in Brothers in Arms with Andre Ware and Vince Young, and I'll ask you about that as well, how special it is to be doing that with those guys and Patty Smith. But what about this city and your relationship with it, Warren? Well, this is where my NFL career started. And, um, you know, Bud Adams with the Oilers gave me the opportunity to come to the NFL, and uh, I wanted to make the most of that opportunity. And, and uh, we had some really good years here as far as playing football, but, but also got very involved in the community. This was a community that was uh, really good to me uh, over the years, and we were able to do some really you know, great things for young people uh, here in the community. So this place will always have a special place in my heart, even though I don't live here year-round. But I, my family still lives here. My, uh, my four kids and my eight grandkids all still live here because they were kind of born and raised here during my playing days so they decided to stay here and uh, i visit here quite a bit i just went to my middle school grandson's uh, middle school football game last night they won a championship out in in uh in in sugarland and my my granddaughter is a cheerleader on the on the team uh for the for the football team so i got a chance to see both of them last night and i, I come back for all types of different functions that they have and it's just a great city to come back and visit. I have a lot of great relationships here, friends-wise, um, and and also with with the foundation that we're doing with Andre and and uh, and and Vince. So there's just a lot of different reasons why I come back to this city. A lot of positive reasons, and this city always, like I said, have a special place in my heart. Well, and you have a special place in the hearts of Houston fans. Warren, what about roughing the passer today? I'm just going to get right into it here because when you played, the rules were different. Protection of quarterbacks what the DBs could do to the receivers and as much production as you had, I got a feeling it would be a lot greater in this era. Your thoughts. You know, I understand why they're trying, what, why they're trying to uh, protect the quarterback the way they can, because we're in a very vulnerable position when we throw the football, uh, we're a big part of uh, team success. So when the starting quarterback goes down, uh, there, there's a big uh, gap in a football team between the starter and, and the backup quarterback. And, and the league wants to see quality play out there. The fans want to see that as well. So I understand why they're trying to protect these guys, but they still are football players. And that's something that has to be taken into consideration. Uh, I think whenever there's a uh, roughing the passer penalty, I think there should be, um, it should be reviewed. There's no question about it because these defensive players, they're really at a, they're really hamstrung as far as how you can hit a quarterback. You can't hit them low anymore because you don't want to take out their knees. You can't hit them high anymore because you might hit them in the head. Uh, you can't drive them to the turf anymore because you might fall on top of them and hurt them. So I think all these uh, penalties should be reviewed right away because the officials are seeing it, you know, firsthand and, you know, live full speed action. But I think if you, replay it you'll be able to see that some of these guys are trying to do the right thing and I think there's been an overreaction to what happened with with Tua and his uh, concussion uh, the last you know, two weeks ago that now everything is, is being amplified as far as quarterbacks being hit and you didn't see that prior to that so I really think the rule needs to be changed I know it probably won't happen this season but I really think they need to um, 
review everything that happens on quarterback hits because these defensive players are trying to do the right thing. But you have to remember when a guy 300 pounds is coming at you full speed, it's kind of hard for him to let up at the same time trying to get the quarterback down to the ground. So it's a very touchy situation, something that I think needs to be looked at uh, every time it happens. Warren Moon joining us. Warren, the, the eras are changing as we speak. Tom Brady might be in his last year. We don't know, but might be in his last year. Aaron Rodgers is not getting any younger. We've already said goodbye to Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers. What quarterbacks today really inspire you? Do you really like to watch play the game just as an observer? Well, I watched two of them on Sunday, um, Patrick Mahomes and and Josh Allen, they're two of the best in the game right now. They can do it, you know, with their arms. They can do it with their legs. Uh, they're, they're fierce competitors. And uh, those are two guys that I would pay to go see. There's so many good young quarterbacks in the league right now. You know, you've got Lamar Jackson. you got Joe Burrow. Uh, you, you've got uh, Justin Herbert, who just played last night. I mean, there's, there's just so many good young ones coming along that the league, I think, is in very good shape at the quarterback position. But you do have these older guys that are starting to see their last years come to an end. And they've had amazing careers. They have nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and I just hope they don't play too long to where they're, they're not playing up to the same standards they want to finish the game with. Well, we make a big deal now. You know, obviously, Tom Brady's amazing at 45. But, you know, there you were playing late 30s into your 40s. What did it take to do that? And would that be different now? I, I know we're talking about the 90s here as you started winding it down, but here we are in the 20s. And how has health and fitness and that side of things changed in the league? Would that have helped you play even longer, perhaps, if you were playing today? Never mind the rules. <laughs> you know, it probably would have. I think so much more is known about our bodies as far as. Uh, you, you know, being uh, taking care of your bodies, the, the way you uh, the way you eat, the way you train, the way you uh, take supplements, things like that. I think that has a big reason has a lot to do with why, why Tom Brady is playing the way he is because of the way he takes care of himself. I think the game isn't as physical, especially for the quarterback now. So that wear and tear that you have on your body is going to be less that that allows you to play longer uh, because of the different rules in that and the way they protect the quarterback. And then the game itself is more of a wide open passing game. It's it's more of a skills competition, more so than a than a physical contest. I think, uh, compared to the the era when I played. So I think all those things combined, you're going to see a lot more players at a lot of different positions play uh, longer than they they probably did back in the day. Only because the game doesn't require as much. You don't see guys have two a days in in training camp anymore. They very rarely hit throughout the train throughout the regular season. So there's a lot less wear and tear on your body that is going to allow you to play a little bit longer. So all those things combined, you're going to see players play longer. The only reason why they probably won't is they're making so much money now they don't have to play as long. And I think that would be the only reason why guys would retire a little bit early. All right, a couple more for you here, Warren. I've been doing the Texans games with Andre Ware since the franchise started in 2002, and he says nothing but great things about you. Tell me about your relationship with Dre and how it got started, because I know you were already well-established as he was making his way, Heisman Trophy in 89, then making his way into the NFL. Yeah, Andre was at the University of Houston when I was playing with the Oilers, and, and I saw this young guy just kind of emerging and, and just taking off. Uh, with this run and shoot offense, he was just setting all kinds of records, throwing the ball all over the place. And 
I was a little bit jealous because of the offense that he was in and I'm watching, you know, what he was doing. I'm like, man, I would love to play in an offense like that. And, and lo and behold, you know, a couple of years later, Jack Pardee comes to the Oilers and we're running the same offense, but I got a chance to meet Andre during his uh, Heisman trophy run. And, and uh, then we would work out in the off season sometime. And then before he got ready to go into the NFL draft, uh, we started working out together as well. Um, we had the same attorney, Lee Steinberg, so that really brought us together, and I helped recruit him uh, for, you know, for Lee to, to represent him. So uh, our relationship has been a long one. Um, he's more like a, a little brother to me, and, and uh, it's, it's great to be involved with him in this community project we're doing with Brothers in Arms. We've had a lot of fun doing this as well. So our relationship goes back a long ways, but we're, we're still you know, together, great friends, and doing some great things here in the Houston community to this day. Outstanding. Warren Moon joining us. All right, one more for you. The Houston Texans, Warren, what do you make of what they're going through right now? Obviously in a process here with Lovey Smith in his first year as head coach and Nick Casario as GM in his second year. What do you think of where the Texans are headed? Lovey Smith is a guy that I've known for a long time. I mean, he has a great relationship with his players. Uh, he knows how to hire really good coaches, knows how to handle the media very well. And you're talking about a guy that's been to a Super Bowl with a quarterback that, you know, a lot of people have probably never heard of, but that's the, that's the type of coach that he was. So if he's given the chance to go along with Nick and those guys work together, I think this football team can start to now get on the path that they need to get on to, you know, to win football games. I really like Davis Mills as a young quarterback for the future. They just need to build some things around him. Um, I was really impressed with the way he finished the season last year. Hasn't gotten off to as good a start this year um, as I thought he would, but he's done some really good things this year at times. So uh, I think with patience and with guys built around him, he can be a guy for the future if they decide to go that direction. Sounds great. Warren, once again, congratulations on being a Texas gridiron legend, and we appreciate the visit. Thanks so much. Mark, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it to you, too, and uh, good luck the rest of the way with the Texans. Yes, Warren Moon named to the Tax Act Texas Bowl gridiron legends class of 2022 that also features the Greater Houston High School Coaches Association nominee Todd Dodge. Santana Dotson, who played at Baylor, was a first-team All-American in 1991, won a Super Bowl with the Packers. Rio Hondo native and former Chicago Bear and Atlanta Falcon, Roberto Garza. Rodney Hampton, who played for the New York Giants, was a two-time Pro Bowler. Former number one overall pick and three-time Pro Bowl defensive end, Ed Tutal Jones and University of Houston Cougar and College Football Hall of Famer and the inventor of the first touchdown dance, Elmo Wright, in addition to Warren Moon. Congratulations to those gentlemen for making the Legends class, Gridiron Legends class of 2022 for the Tax Act Texas Bowl. All right, Mark's going to stay with me the next segment, and we're going to talk about our trip to Vegas, the game against the Raiders, and why I think Josh Jacobs is that much more important to stop on Sunday than perhaps any other Raider on the field. That's next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to the second hour of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst. And Mark Vandermeer stays with me. Mark, that was pretty cool getting a chance to talk to Warren Moon. I've often said that, A, Warren Moon threw the prettiest ball I've ever seen. B, I can't remember if I went one or two or A or B, but either way, <laughs> as A, B, um, it's really cool when you get a chance to catch up with, we cover a lot of the athletes that are in town now, but 
before we got here, guys like Warren Moon and the Oilers of the 90s, those were all players I would have loved to have talked to. I, I know you didn't get a chance to experience that, but that'd be pretty cool to talk to Warren Moon, no? Yeah, and I've interviewed him before, Johnny, but the thing about Warren Moon is he's one of those guys that I'm not going to say I'm totally starstruck, but there's a little bit of that. I got to admit, yeah. what do I always say? That it's the people that you followed before you were in the business yes. that seem to do that to you. And look, I watched Warren Moon on my television before I was even a glint in the eye of this business, right? I was still selling advertising. I wasn't on the air yet when he really got rolling with the Oilers in the late 80s. And then I got into the business, but you know, I was nowhere to be found compared to where I am now. And obviously it's a thrill to talk to him. Uh, You said it prettiest ball you ever saw. The guy is a phenomenal passer of the football. And I do think that you put guys like him and Dan Marino in today's game and watch the numbers grow even more. I mean, this offense for the Oilers, when Warren was here, that offense was designed to throw the ball, but it's now that much easier to throw the football than it was back then. I can't even imagine what the numbers would have been like for those two guys. I've, I've, we, I can't, when did we get into discussion about Marino? Was that on Monday? I think it might've been Monday with Trey yeah. on Texas Monday. We're talking about Marino and you start thinking about, man, what if Marino had played with this team? What if Marino had played with this team? What if Marino had been, um, you know, in this organization, I, I mean, it's just, it's kind of scary to think about because of the way that he managed the pocket and how quickly he could get rid of the football. And the fact that his receivers would get disrupted, but not absolutely mauled like they used to. I mean, if you put Dan Marino in the Dolphins, th- take Dan Marino and put him in the Dolphins right now. Oh Tyreek and what? Waddle and Gasicki. <laughs> Forget about it. It would be ridiculous. You could throw 70-yard bombs to Tyreek Hill, right? As long as they could hold up in protection. And you mentioned movement. Even though he was a big guy, and a lot of people thought he was a statue, because late in his career he was after he came back from Achilles, from the Achilles recovery. But early on, he moved around pretty well. You look at the Super Bowl footage when they faced the 49ers and lost, but look at him move around the pocket. He could move around quite a bit. I mean, it's not exactly Doug Flutie back in those days. But right. he could move around and buy some time, just like Brady can move around. These brilliant passers have a true sense of pocket, of where things are. And just to move a yard or two to the right or left and slightly backwards diagonally, they buy extra time and extra space to be able to throw the football. They're so good at it. And sometimes you wonder how they do it. You bring up a great point. I'll make sure that we ask Dre this. Is that learned behavior Mm. or is that inherent? I I feel like it's you got it or you don't, but if you have it, you can improve it. If you don't, eh, I don't know if you can ever get it. I think some things in sports are you're born with, but you do, you sort of nurture that talent, not even sort of you nurture that talent, you grow it because it's, we talk about this on the basketball floor and in football guys who see the field or see the floor guys who can make that really tough pass that, other players might not even see other quarterbacks yeah. might not see other point guards might not see. They might not, it might not occur to them to throw the ball or see that guy open in the corner or underneath or wherever it might be. And some players just tend to have that the old quarterback coming out of the pocket, keep your eyes downfield easier said than done. When you have these unbelievable fire, fire breathing dragons chasing you down, trying to make things happen that way. So I think that some of it you're born with, 
but you have to be able to grow your talent. Otherwise, you're going to be out of the league, whatever league it is. We're going to Vegas. How excited are you? Uh, I'm super excited because it's an NFL game in a new place, a new city. Yeah. And there's sort of this baptism feel for the Houston Texans. And, you know, you brought it on uh, to the audience, I think, I don't know, a few weeks ago, maybe, that it's the fourth time you're playing the Raiders since 2014 right. in a fourth different location. Uh, when you look at Mexico City, NRG, Oakland, and this, and I'm excited for this. You know, we've been to L.A., but we hadn't been to that stadium. We've never done an NFL game in Vegas. I've done college football in Vegas, though, Johnny. I did a Vegas Bowl right. back in 1994, Central Michigan versus UNLV, and we got boat raced. It was a horizon <laughs> job by UNLV. And the funny thing is we beat them earlier that year in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. But the oh. bowl situation back then was Central had five weeks off between the conclusion yeah. of the regular season and the bowl and no indoor facility. So you're practicing literally in the snow. Meanwhile, UNLV, they had something like two and a half weeks off the way their schedule was. And they're in that weather anyway. It was actually cold that night, but they just ran past us. But uh, that's another story for another day. I just remember staying at the Riviera back then, which I don't think exists any longer. And at the time, they were talking about shooting the movie Casino oh. in that casino. They shot it at the Riviera. And I think they oh, were wow. about to start shooting at that time. Uh, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Don Rickles. I mean, it was a tremendous cast. Martin Scorsese directed. And it was in that hotel. And I set up the trade for all of us. So we got our rooms. We got the rental car. We got the flights. And I got it all traded that was back in the days of tradeo where you could trade on the radio and trade commercials for services rooms whatever so i made a tremendous deal with vegas that's back in the days when i sold and was on the air and that was a lot of fun to do that trip so that's the last time i did a game in vegas let me think is that true yeah i know you've done shows golden nugget at your yep. uh, former station yep. Tillman yep. Tita's place and so did i uh did a bunch of shows at the golden nugget but that was shows not games and i'm excited to do a game and see what it's all about. You must be excited too. Yeah. And the one time that we went to the Golden Nugget was the 2007 season. That was the Patriots 18 and 0 Super Bowl against the Giants. Oh, no. And we went out there, and I'll be honest, I was not excited. I was like, I, I don't know, man. I'm going out there with a bunch of people that really like to throw down and have a good time. And that's yeah, not me. I don't know. Crew. Yeah. I'm you know the crew. And yeah. so I'm a little nervous. And so. Uh -huh. My show is over, and I go over and I see John Granado playing blackjack, and I'm kind of just watching, and I've never played before, never. Mm -hmm. And so I walk over, and I'm like, well, this looks kind of fun. I'm going to go up and get some money and come back down, and I'll play. And so then I saw, I saw our buddy Lance. Lance is playing at a – he's playing a game called Blackjack Switch. And so there was a seat right next to him, and I felt like if I didn't know what I was doing, he could help me. And so we, I, I sat down at 8.30 at night. I walked away at 4.30 in the morning. No. I told, no. My wife, I, I told my wife that story, and she's like, you never. And I was like, yes, Vegas does that to you. I walked eight straight hours, and just like you would expect, I lost, went back and got more money, lost. I was almost out, like, I'm just done. And all of a sudden, I went on a streak for the next, like, two, three hours. Built it, built it up, lost it all. Yeah. Two o'clock in the morning, built it up, built it up, built it up. No. Built it up. And I was able to walk away from the table up that night, like, I don't know, a few hundred dollars. But the, the eight hours, I, I mean, it was unbelievable. And the yeah. funniest part was that we were out there, it was Super Bowl weekend. And so next to us was Roy Oswald. Remember Roy Oswald? Not Roy Oswald. Sure. 
not Royals one. Brandon Backy. Brandon Backy. Oh, yeah. So Brandon's from Galveston. So he's got a little, he's got a little sure. G town in him. So he's <laughs> just sitting at the table next to us. And and my co-host at the time was Sean Pendergast, our good friend. And Sean was watching me play and helping me. But when Backy sat down, Sean says, Hey Johnny, look, it's Backy. And also we start talking to Backy. Like, hey man, we just interviewed you. Remember, like, oh yeah, it was great. So we kind of hit it off. So Sean is with Backy, and Backy's got stacks of chips. Stacks. And Sean is just egging him on. And he's throwing out like more black chips. I mean, he's it was it was the funniest night. But when it comes to events, the very next night we went to a UFC event. Ooh. And it was electric yeah it was electric i mean i was like wow mm-hmm. so then the next night was the super bowl and there was a big viewing party and all that that went on it was that of course the david tyree catch and all that it was just it was unbelievable i can only imagine what an nfl weekend is like that then is or you know what a weekend is like with college football on saturday then a full day nfl and of course the game with the raiders that afternoon i, I i'm like I'm very curious to see how that is, but main thing is go out there, get a win, uh, and beat them. Here's one thing about this game, Mark. The the four different locations, that's a that's a little oddity. Listen to this. So we know how our games have gone. Mm-hmm. It's the Colts. We blew a 17-point lead. The Broncos, we were tied. We were – no, we were ahead by three. Is that right? No, no, no. We were tied going in the fourth quarter, ended up losing that by seven. Against the Bears, we were tied late in the fourth quarter at 20. We lost to the Chargers by 10, but we cut the lead to 27-24 midway through the fourth quarter. And then, of course, we won the last one scoring in the fourth quarter. Every one of our games has come down to the fourth quarter. Yep. All we got to do is make a play. Who knows what we'd be. How about this for the Raiders? The Raiders cut the – they opened the season playing the Chargers at so five. They cut it to five in the fourth quarter, lost by five. They had a 20-point lead against the Cardinals at home. Yeah. Blew it and lost. Kyler Murray, uh, two-point conversion, ridiculous video game. Right. The next week, they went to Tennessee. They got it to 24-22, missed the two-point conversion with a minute 14 left, lost 24-22. Then they won by nine. Then they played the Chiefs on Monday night, led much of the game, trailed 30-23, to scored a touchdown, went for two, missed it, lost that game 30-29. to other than the, the Chargers, in which we lost by 10, but we had cut the lead to three. Every single game that these two teams have played has, A, been close in the fourth quarter, has, B, not even close, it's been within one score in the fourth quarter. In all that these teams have to show for it are two wins and one tie. But both of them have blown a 17-point lead or a 20-point lead. Every other game has been one score at the end. It's been amazing to watch and look at the results of these teams as they match up coming into this game on Sunday. I, I mean, I didn't want to think that we were that similar, but I kind of think that we are from that standpoint. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see these two go at it on Sunday. Well, it's funny because I was on with our buddy, Rob Hip, former voice of the uh, Sam Houston State University Bearcats, who's yep. now in North Dakota State. And he said, hey, I was looking at you guys, and it seems like this division is really up for grabs, and you guys have have as good a chance as anyone to take it. I'm thinking, I love your optimism, and <laughs> I want to be like that. I feel like, in a way, he's right, based yep. on everything you just said about the fourth quarter stuff, but you have to make those plays. And you and I always talk about bi-week football viewing, and one thing that another takeaway you always get is, 
how close all these games are and how any play in the fourth quarter makes the difference. And on red zone, they even have a term for it. The witching, witching hour, hour. Yes. Where wins become losses and losses become wins. And it's so true because you think you got something in the bag or you could, and then all of a sudden a bad play happens or the other side where ah, we might be out of this, but a score here to score there and a turnover and voila, look, the Colts had, who was it? Hines? He fumbled the ball, right? And then the Colts recovered it yes. on a punt return. Yes, Isaiah Rogers. If you fall on that ball, you're kicking a field goal for the win. And it was on the ground. Yeah. Right? It's that close. These are the kinds of plays. You know, look, I don't expect it to be automatic that when you get that DeAndre Carter fumble on a punt return, that it's amazing, Johnny. They got in both home games late in the game ish, mm-hmm. they get punt returners to cough it up. This special teams unit is no joke. And I'll tangent here on that watching football over this weekend. And I've had this with offense and defense through the years too, from time to time where I'm watching the other teams thinking, man, the Texans have it really good in this particular phase of the game, whatever it might be at that time in our history, because I'm watching the other teams and they're not as good or many of them aren't with Sunday's viewing, I'm looking at special teams and a lot of the special teams around the league, not measuring up to what the Texans are doing. Not even close. Like, oh my gosh, you guys are terrible compared to the Texans at this aspect of special teams or that aspect of special teams. So I think that's cool, but that's amazing. The ball's been on the ground twice in both home games by the punt returner of the opponent in the fourth quarter. You got one. You didn't get the other Mark at about the exact same spot on the field. Yep. At about the exact same spot. I mean, it's that, I mean, it's, it's eerie. And if you, if you think about it from that perspective, let's say that they do fumble it to you. You have a chip shot field goal. You win that game. You save that game. I'm convinced you go to Denver. If you beat the Colts, I'm convinced you beat both the Broncos and the uh, bears. Worst case, you get one of them. Worst case, you get one of them. Worst case, you should have gotten one of them, but you didn't. You'd be sitting three and two. Top the division. Right there with the with the Tennessee Titans. That's all. That's all it would have taken. If you get that win against the Colts, I think you break through. I feel like at fourteen to ten against the Bears, that's where it could have gone, but you didn't. You're one three and one. Here's another thing that I think I like these kind of did you knows. I was looking at this in the AFC. Now, granted, the Texans have played one fewer game. I understand. How many teams, Mark, in the in the AFC? 16 teams. How many would you say right now, right now, have three losses or more? Just gut reaction. Boom. What is it? It's uh, the Raiders in the AFC. AFC. How many have three losses or more? Uh, not the Jags. Raiders. Is that it? Is it just the Raiders? Ten. There Wait, are ten oh, teams. Three or more. I'm thinking three four. losses thinking more. or more. I'm thinking more, not not uh, three or more. Okay. Three or more. Dolphins, Patriots, Broncos, Raiders, Ravens, bang, the entire AFC North. The entire AFC North has three losses or more. Ravens are three and three. Bengals, three and three. Browns, two and four. Steelers, two and four. In the South, it's the Texans and the Jaguars. Right. Ten teams in the AFC have three losses or more. The Texans being one of those teams. I mean, that sounds sort of, if I'd have told you that after five weeks, hey, going into the bye week, you're going to have the same number of losses as 10 teams in the AFC. I would have thought, well, wait a second. How does the math work on that? But that's exactly what we're looking at. 
Dolphins, Patriots, three and three. Broncos, two and four. Raiders, one and four. The AFC North is ridiculous. Oh, Ravens wow. and Bengals are tied at three and three, and the Browns are both are two and four, and Steelers two and four. Yeah, and the Steelers just beat a quality opponent in yes. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. Right. I think that if the opposing quarterback goes to a wedding every week, they're in <laughs> great shape. We'll see if that can happen. For them. <laughs> that you know, that's a key stat for the Steelers, but I do like Mike Tomlin. You know that, and I think I, I actually root for him. I can't root for the Steelers, but I root for him. So it's weird. It's a yep. very conflicting sort of thing, especially in a year where you don't play them. And I just hate when the Steelers fans get on him because there's right. a lot to like. And I love that the Steelers have only have had only three coaches in the Super Bowl era, really, since the merger, I should say. Yeah. Really, that's incredible stuff right there. But yeah, uh, I've been saying, look, you're only a game back in the loss column in the AFC South, right? right. Because right. the Titans and Colts each have two losses. But the win column is what's important here. The only way yep. the tie comes in handy is if you can match them in wins, then you have a half loss less, and right. boom, you've got the winning percentage ahead of them. But look, we're getting way ahead of ourselves because even if the Texans had beaten the Bears and the Broncos, Johnny, this is tough to go out there. I don't care what the Raiders' record is. You told us what they've been through. They've got a lot of talent. That's a yep. tough one. And then you have the Titans at home and then the Eagles at home. So, ouch. This is the ouch part of the schedule, and they've got to come through it somehow. And I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but I'm here for it. And I know this. They're capable of beating anybody. They beat the Titans on the road last year. I know it was kind of a weird game yep. with the rain and you know Tyrod Taylor ran for a couple of scores and all that. So what? You won the game. You found a way to win the game. Your defense played well. Find a way to win these games. Find a way to manufacture wins. As I said last week when we were on the pregame show with Sean and Seth, Davis Mills, will your team to victory? Now, it wasn't all him. It was more like Damian Pierce willed his team to victory, but – Mills didn't turn it over, and he made the big throws when he had to, like the third down conversion to Jordan Akins. More of that, please. If you're going to play ball control, great, but you cannot turn it over. That's what ball control basically means, and you have to get takeaways. You have to get the ball away from Derek Carr, and I think they can. I think they will this weekend get the ball away from the former Clements Ranger. You know, I was going back, and I went back, and I watched the um, watch the Chiefs Raiders game. I was actually watching it today after watching it on Monday night, and I missed I missed something completely in that game. The Raiders on third down, Travis Kelsey was out wide. The Raiders took Cleland, Cleland, Cleland Farrell mm -hmm. and put him in front of Travis Kelsey with a defensive back behind him. They essentially took a defensive end and a safety and said that Travis Kelsey's your guy. Don't let him catch the ball. Now, I don't remember it more than once, but I thought, man, that is an interesting approach. The Texans, I don't, they're not going to do that with the Texans. But I just thought it was interesting how they, they tried to attack Travis Kelsey doing some different things. I don't think they'll have to do that with Brandon Collins or, or I'm sorry, Brandon Cooks or Nico Collins. But I thought it was interesting just the approach that, that they took to try and shut down the major weapon. And of course that night, Kelsey ended up catching four passes or four touchdowns. So maybe they should have used that philosophy a little <laughs> bit more, but they, but they didn't. So maybe it came back to haunt them, but Josh Jacobs got rolling in that game. And that worries me that really now Devonte had some nice plays. He had the fourth and one catch early in the game for a touchdown. And we know what Devonte can do every time he's played the Packer or every time we played the Packers, Devonte just lit us up 2020. I mean, it was gross. Um, and so I worry about Devontae. 
Mark, am I off base to think that Josh Jacobs could, because of this reason, the secondary right now is playing at a much higher level than the front has against the run. So I'd take my chances with our secondary playing against Devontae Adams versus our front going against the hot Josh Jacobs. Am I wrong in thinking that Jacobs, that may be a bigger key, but how big a factor he is in this game? Am I off base in that? That he is the factor because look at what ground games have done to this football team when they're on. Look at Eckler getting going against the Houston Texans. Look at what ETN was able to do when yeah. they went to him. They should have gone to him more. If you're a Jaguar fan, you're thinking, find a way to get one the ball even more to do some damage that way. And when they put Robinson in the game, the feeling was, oh, good, Robinson's in the game. Now, usually you wouldn't feel that way with Robinson. He's an accomplished, I don't want to call him that. He's a good back, okay? He's yeah. a good back. We all know that. Accomplished. What has he accomplished? He's played <laughs> Jaguars, but he's gotten some yards, so there's right, that. Right, right. But the point is this, ETN's a playmaker. Jacob's different kind of back, I get it, but he's a playmaker for them, and he's going to be really dangerous. If you can find a way to slow him down, obviously that's key. But, Johnny, you've talked about it. Andre's talked about it. You're not getting to the quarterback in the last couple of games. Yeah. You're not getting enough heat on the opposing quarterback, and you were earlier. I know different kinds of quarterbacks, and we see what Kate, what shape Russell Wilson is in right now. But, man, oh, man, you've got to get pressure on Derek Carr. He can scramble but he's not exactly Kyler Murray. So you have to figure out a way to get to him. You got to slow him down. You got to get him in third and long, all those things we always talk about, because I think he can and will make the mistake. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see with the crowd. There will be a lot of Texans fans there. Does the Vegas crowd sort of turn on the Raiders? I want to see if that happens. I think that they'll get frustrated. It's not like they were supposed to knock off the Chiefs this year, but they were supposed to be right there, right there. Definitely contending with the Chargers, certainly the Broncos, to be able to contend for second in a playoff spot after making the playoffs last year and do better this year. They're not doing better yet record-wise, so we'll see what they bring. Yeah, Nick Serra talked about that, how much money they spent this offseason. They spent a lot of money on Devontae Adams, draft picks, et cetera. They spent a lot of money this offseason. And look, it's not over yet. You're five games in, whatever. It could all work out great with Adams, and maybe it does. And J.C. Jackson, too, with the Chargers, because the fact that he was benched in the last game, that speaks volumes of cautionary tale content where you say, "Eh, is it worth paying a guy that much money? You know, you really got to pick your spots. And that's why GMs are sometimes so hesitant to do that. And look at the Patriots defense and the performances they're getting right now. And they're getting a decent quarterback performance out of Bailey Zappi and they're winning. They just beat the Browns. It that boggles the mind too. Maybe it shouldn't boggle the mind anymore. They're the Patriots, yeah. you know, and those guys who are with other teams, Joe judge, Matt, Patricia, you know, they're like assistant coaches of the year right now. The, the magic they're doing on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball is in great shape because they have the greatest defensive coordinator of all time and bill Belichick running the show. Yep. No doubt. Mark. Very nice job. All right. We get back. Drew's going to stop by. We've got a little in the lab for you next on Texans All Access. I welcome you back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It was good to catch up with Mark. So, equal opportunity. We heard from DP earlier in the show. I just chatted with Mark. Now it's time for Drew Doherty to step up to the plate for a little in the lab, starting right now. Good to talk with you. Good to see you. Yeah, man. Did you have a good break? Uh, It was good. Uh, I'll I'll tell you this. 
And I know the woe is me is coming. I have my first day off. Hey. First day off in six weeks. It's pretty good. Not Saturday. It's not Saturday bad. was my first day off. And guess what I did? Watch college football. That's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. You know me. Yes. That's all I did. I watched college football all day. It was I good, though. It was good I saw day. just a smidgen of college football. I was at a four-year-old birthday party. <laughs> Petting zoo. Got a picture with the goat. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I went to a seven-on-seven football game for nine-year-olds, yep. to a soccer game for nine-year-olds, and then uh, went to another birthday party in the afternoon. It was fun. It was a good day, and then... Sunday, snooze a bit on the couch and watch some football. But let's talk about our Texans, John. Let's do it. We're back. We are gunning for win number two. But to get that, got to go to Vegas, got to beat the Raiders. And, you know, that's a team that has struggled. That's a team that's uh, it's gets banged up. I mean, they're missing some folks. Yep. But it's still a team that Lovey Smith pointed out on Monday. They got a really mm. good quarterback. Yep. They got uh, maybe the best receiver in the game, he said, in Devontae Adams. You can argue that, he yep, said. Very much so. What strikes you the most as far as taking those two out of the equation? What's the biggest threat the Raiders present to this Texans team on Sunday? Okay. Thought about this in a while. I didn't know you were going there with this question, but, I, but I've been thinking about it. Against Chicago, we gave up 281 rushing yards. Yep. Against the Chargers, they didn't run the ball a ton, but Austin Eckler had a Great game. Out when they needed field, to, they got it. They, got they, it. they ran it when they wanted to. And needed Broncos to. ran it, had some time. Yep. The only time we've really had, and this is good news, bad news. Bad news is we haven't been good stopping the run, but the good news is that maybe we started showing something in the second half against the Jags. Mm-hmm. They didn't go crazy running the ball, and it was a close game. They didn't go nuts running the ball, and, and they got a couple of key stops, one on fourth and one. That was a, was a massive stop. So the run defense worries me a bit against Josh Jacobs. This is a renewed, seemingly healthy Josh Jacobs. And it was funny. We were talking to Nick Casario early in the week, Drew, and he was talking about Josh Jacobs. And I love it when football guys talk about football players and they kind of they don't talk in full sentences. They're just power, strength, vision, faced a lot of adversity <laughs> in college, wasn't used a lot in college, and you know, they just kind of rip, rip, rip. rip. English like, teachers would not approve. Yeah, just bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And as he's going through each bullet point, I'm like, that's Damian Pierce. Yeah. It's just the first-round version of Damian Pierce. Josh Jacobs was was homeless in high school. They were living in a car in high school. Got an opportunity to go to Alabama. Uh, had to find his way through Najee Harris and Damian, uh, Damian Harris and eventually was able to get enough carries to show, yeah, I, this guy's got something. And the Raiders made him a first-round pick. He's had some really good moments. Last year, not quite there, but, you know, the Raiders were kind of hemming and hawing what they should do. Should they pick up his fifth-year option? And Jacobs is like, no, you, it's cool. If you don't, I'll show you. And he has. He has spent this year in prove-it mode all year. And he is running with every – I mean, think of Damian Pierce. Just get a vision of Pierce – and now put Raiders number 28 jersey on him, and there you go. And that's, to me, the biggest issue. Yes, Devontae Adams is fantastic. I almost want them to throw the ball to Devontae Adams because I feel like with Steven Nelson, Derek Stingley in the secondary, the way the secondary is coming along, I'll take my chances with the unit that's played better than the run defensive unit that has not played extremely well. So I'd almost invite them to throw the ball to Devontae Adams a little bit such that it takes the ball out of the hands of Josh Jacobs because he's been he's been a big problem. Okay, so with all that in mind, if it happens this weekend, and I'm not saying it will, 
but I kind of getting I'm kind of getting the feeling that it will. Mm-hmm. If Christian Harris returns to the lineup ooh, ooh, and plays linebacker, yeah. what does that do for this Texans defense? He's not not been added to the 53 man roster yet. It's probably right. not going to happen until the day before the game he winds up playing in, which Correct. like I said, yes. I kind of think it's going to be this weekend. But when he's in the lineup, what's it going to mean? Well, it gives them it gives them speed. Now, there's linebackers that, that uh, Nick and Lovey brought to the organization starting in 2021. They've always been able to run. They've always been able to run. But Christian Harris runs at a completely different pace and level. He also, I think, brings a level of violence. And I remember watching uh, Christian was he, when he was at Alabama. And it was the, it was the season of 2021. I was like, ah, I feel like there's more there. I feel last like there's season, more yeah, there. His last, yeah. Season, yeah. his last season in Alabama. So I'm watching him in the game against Georgia in the national championship game, and I'm like, he's arguably one of the three best players on the field, both sides of the ball. And that had number one overall pick, Trayvon Walker. It had all his first-round picks from Georgia. He's one of the top three players on the field that night. He's running down Stetson Bennett. He is making plays in the gap. He is taking out blockers. So I'm like, okay, let me go back and watch a couple of the games. Let me just – this is pretty impressive, and I want to see some – I want to – what did I miss – so I want to watch the Florida game, like every play in depth, studying him, just him in that game. There's so many prospects in that game. I'm studying just him, and I'm watching him just blow up pulling guards. I mean, blow them, not only blow them up, but then blow up a pulling guard and then go make the tackle. He made plays in that Florida game that just blew me away. So the combination of speed and violence, and I know people hear the word violence, and they're like, oh, no, it, this is football. Controlled violence. Right, football violence. Yeah. So speed and football violence, he brings to the field. Now, I don't know how the hamstring will will take away from that. If it takes away from that, I don't know. I hope not. It's always kind of a tricky thing with a hamstring. Sometimes you need the year. Sometimes you can go out there and, and be yourself. And speaking to somebody that played like a whole season with a hamstring, it didn't impact, it didn't impact me too much because I was already slow. It didn't make me slower. Um, so hopefully it doesn't make Christian Harris any slower because he's really fast. And we saw that in training camp in the days that we saw him. He was really fast to the ball. But it's his aggressive, his football violent nature, I think, that adds a little bit more uh, to the run defense in particular. Now, And where would you see him playing, though? Like, what, what linebacker spot do you think he would? Because I get asked that, and it's like, yeah. well, you know. I don't think he would take a – I don't think he'd play so the mic position. Yeah, it's probably like strong or weak, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, he'd be strong or weak. And, I mean, there's a case to be made for – you know, look, Garrett Wallow has played tremendously. I mean, I thought Garrett stepped into the game against Jacksonville – and ironically, the game he started last year as a rookie was against Jacksonville. 11 tackles. He was all over the place. He had a key tackle for a loss. He had a pass breakup the other day. He really played well. I, I just feel like there's a combination that you could put on the field with Wallow that has Wallow and Harris in it, and your run defense is going to go up a step. The other thing I noticed that Lovey did on Sunday against the Jaguars, and part of it was because the weather was, it was salty. It was, yeah, it was hot. It was, hot. Mm-hmm. it was in the 90s down on the field. He rotated his linebacker group. Right. Typically, your linebacker group is staying out there. At least one or two guys are staying out there every play. Every play. And that's really been Christian Kirksey and and Kamagruja Hill. But the other day, when he would play three guys, he would have those two with Wallow, and then he would take them out, and he would put in uh, Jalen Rees-Maben, Neville Hewitt, and Jake Hansen. Right. And they went in there, and they played a few series throughout the game, too. So maybe there's a rotation that happens until part, they get to a point that they've got solid on the three guys or two guys when they're in nickel, three guys when they're in base that they have out there at that time. And he talked about it, the weather, and I think he just also 
through the first month of the season wasn't thrilled with right. the results of the, Absolutely. the crew that he was sending out. So he Absolutely. wanted to give it give it a shakeup. And then you think probably Blake Cashman gets added back into that mix as right. well. So it, theoretically, Cashman and Hanson could get you know thrown into the pot. Absolutely. And you shake things up and see what happens in that regard. So something to keep an eye on. Yeah, no doubt. And just getting Christian Harris back on the field to me is going to – Okay, that's a, that's another rookie. I know it's one of your five top picks from this draft that has he hasn't played yet. He and Metchie are the only two. I joked with Lovey at some five. point. I said, I said, Coach, I don't really understand why a guy that practiced one time after missing five six weeks of time that people wanted to talk about Christian Harris. But I guess maybe it's the. I mean, it was, they were asked the question about that hit in the Jacksonville game, and I was like, Yo, I don't even think he's going to be active. What are we, what are we doing here? Yeah. Now, I felt like. You give him another week, then you get the bye week, and then you bring him back after that, and then he's going to be hopefully another couple of weeks to get healthy and, and stronger. Then I think that's the way you go. Now, let's see. Now, wait, wait. I understand why people are asking because I mean, I get it. The defense has struggled, right? This is one of your, like I said, top five picks. This, Plus, they they see what he did at Alabama in right. the title game, and on top of that, they see the hug between Lovey Smith well, and yeah, Nick Casario yeah. on draft night. So it's like, well. Who is this guy? And we add, need this guy. And one of the this is where I'm going with that. The one other thing I would add to that is you've seen what the other rookies have done. Yeah. Have done. Yeah. And if those rookies have been good and they saw that in Christian Harris, mm-hmm. then man, he must be pretty good too. Let's sure. get him on the field. So I understood the excitement, but it just felt like it was it needed to be tempered a little like, bit. Like, ask a question. We don't need five questions in a press conference asked about that. <laughs> that was that was my that was my whole deal. And look, I understand understand the media. I understand what they're trying to do, but I just was like, why? Like, you got an answer. You're not going to get a different answer. It's not going to change the answer. Uh, and I think Lovey, at that point, knew he's probably not going to be active. But it's going to happen soon. So now if you want to ask the questions this week, I think it makes sense. Yeah. Because I do think that we'll see Christian on the field. Worst case, worst case on special teams. Mm-hmm. Worst case on special teams. And with 4-4 speed and his size, he could be a factor on special teams. Because they've gotten some really good plays. Some of those guys we talked about. Jalen Reeves-Maben. Special teams have been Those guys have been on special teams. Just outstanding. And you throw Christian year. in that mix now, too. And it gets really exciting what they can continue to do. No doubt. All right. Well, I can't wait. Back to football. Back to Las Vegas for the first time. Well, first time for me since the draft. Because I got to go in April. So, How about this little nugget about this trip? Yeah. So, the four regular season games. Take the playoff game out. 14, 16, 19 and 22. All different spots. All different spots. How about and it's that? It's the first time in Oakland. franchise history we played an opponent in four different spots. Ah, Oakland in 14. 16 was uh, Mexico City. in Mexico City. Azteca. 19 was here. Mm-hmm. And then 22 is at Las Vegas. That's when crazy. Whenever we play the Chargers and the Rams in the regular season, we'll have played those two places, those two teams, those franchises yep. in four different spots as well in franchise history. Not in that time span that you mentioned, right, right, but. Right. With the Chargers, San Diego. You uh, played them in uh, the soccer stadium in 19. In L.A., right, right, and right. And you've played them, you will have played them here as right. well as SoFi, the, yeah. the new place. And then the Rams, Coliseum, St. Louis. Uh, SoFi. SoFi in here. Wow. Yeah. There you go. We're just showering you with all sorts of knowledge. Uh, West Coast trips, man. Just stuff. I guess they got it figured out now. Mm-hmm. They got Allegiant Stadium, Las Vegas, and they got SoFi. I would imagine it's, it's uh, going to be that going forward. But I always like going to the Coliseum out in, in Oakland. Loved it. Loved Oakland. Loved to be. You know, uh, one little nugget before we go. One thing I loved about that stadium, of the many things, is you do the post-game press conference in the Oakland A's, A's weight, weight room. room. So yes. You, you yes. listen to Arian Foster talk uh-huh. about his big day, and then you look, and behind the backdrop, there's a uh, – 
a bench press and mm-hmm. I think, man, I wonder what Jose and Mark McGuire, were, Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire were putting up on a yes. bench back in the day. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I used to love that. The 70s A's were, were, I know it's weird, but just following baseball history, they're always one of my favorite teams. You know, the battle and A's, they're always fighting each other, but they were they were fun. Yep. I love those jerseys. Reggie Late, Jackson is always cool. 88, 89, 90 A's, those guys should have, they should have swept. Yep. That should have been three straight World Series. They only yep. won the one in 89. They got beat by the Dodgers in 88 with Kirk Gibson and Oral mm-hmm. Hershiser. Yep. And then somehow the Nasty Boy Reds swept oh. them. That Great bullpen, brutal. but they still should not have beaten those A's. Anyways, yep. that's neither here nor there. This is in the lab, and this is some of the wacky, wild stuff you get on this podcast. We'll <laughs> talk about it again next week, and hopefully we're talking about a Texans win and get ready for the Titans in the town. So long. Yeah, one of the things that hit me is we were talking, Mark and I was looking at the Texans schedule. I don't know why I had it up in front of me, but I was looking at the Texans schedule, and this is a game against the Las Vegas Raiders, right? We all know that. Game starts 3.05 Houston time. Then the Titans are playing at NRG Stadium the following week. So the day before Halloween, the Titans are taking on the Texans. And that's also a 305 kick. Then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, four days later, the Texans are taking on the Eagles at NRG Stadium. That'll be Battle Red Thursday, Battle Red Sunday, Battle Red, our Battle Red game, where the Texans will break out the red helmets. And man, those things are sweet. I cannot wait to see what that looks like. And that's why I asked the question to Lovey Smith earlier this week. The Bears have worn just that dark navy blue helmet forever. And all of a sudden they wore that orange lid on Thursday night. It was like, whoa, it kind of caught your eye. Like, wow, it looks a little different. It's going to look different. We've worn the red jerseys. We've worn the white pants. We just never worn a red helmet or any other helmet for that matter. So that's going to be cool. But that game is at 715. So the Texans have a 305, 305, 715. It's kind of, it kind of throws your football homeostasis off a little bit because you're so used to playing at noon locally or on the East Coast, 1 o'clock, whatever. You play those early afternoon games. Well, then you get the mini buy after the Eagles game, and then it's 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12 all the way through the rest of the season, which that'll get – you know, 11 weeks straight. Now, they're not on Sunday because Christmas Eve, I think, is on Saturday, so we play on Christmas Eve. So all that kind of stuff is going on with it. But game this week, if you're out in Las Vegas, it's 105 local time, 305 Houston time. So make sure you got that. Because when we play the Broncos, it was 325. So it's a little different. So make sure we're all on track with that. But, yeah, it would be nice to get a win over the Raiders. That would be two in a row on the road and come back and take on the Titans all geared up, ready to go. And the Titans play the Colts this weekend. Hmm. Who do we want to win that one? God, these AFC South battles, they're hard to figure out early in the year. I didn't know who to cheer for Jags and Colts last week. No idea. Just kind of watching it going, beat each other up. Just beat each other up. And, you know, we ended up getting a Colts win and the Jags lost. So I guess it was 50% good, 50% bad. Oh, well, even Steven, just like Jerry Seinfeld. All right, we're going to go around the NFL. Some news and notes from things happening around the NFL. That's next right here on Texans All Access. We got one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm John Harris, football analyst. Glad you are with me this evening. All right, let's get to the Texans injury report as we go around the NFL. Just so we hit this before the end of the show, DMPs on Wednesday. Brandy Cooks, not injury-related, just a rest day. Jerry Hughes dealing with a knee. Chris Moore still dealing with that hip. And Malik Collins dealing with a knee. They were all DMPs. Limited participants, Nico Collins. Austin Deculus, Brevin Jordan. Glad to see them, at least in a limited capacity, back on the practice field 
for the Raiders on Monday night against the Chiefs, not this past Monday, but the Monday before when they played the Chiefs, while Darren Waller, their all-pro tight end, had been dealing with a hamstring. He was a DNP. I would imagine, well, I don't want to speculate there, but, man, no Darren Waller. Oh, that is just, I don't want to say that makes things easy, but that's a guy I don't think the Texans could match up really well against, given Devontae Adams, on rent for all that kind of stuff. But Waller did not participate. Limited participants, Jayon Brown, Mac Hollins, and Foster Moreau, the other tight end. Brown dealing with a hamstring. Hollins a heel. Foster Moreau dealing with a knee issue. Now, game on Thursday night is between the Saints and the Cardinals, and these teams are banged up from a fantasy perspective. Marquise Brown, Cardinals out. Jarvis Landry, out. Marshawn Lattimore, as defensive player, he's out. Andres Pete, offensive lineman, he's out. Michael Thomas, he's out. Adam Troutman, out. Both teams have five guys each out of this game. James Conner, running back for the Cardinals, is a game-time decision. So if you got James Conner on your fantasy team, you're going to have to probably hold that submission, whether you want him to play or not, about 90 minutes out. You'll see whether he's active or inactive. So keep an eye on James Conner if you got him on your fantasy team. He is a game-time decision for tomorrow night's game on Amazon, Arizona two-point favorite. All right, a big thanks to everybody who participated on the show. Mark, Warren Moon, Drew Doherty, D.P. Sidhu, Jalen Petrie, GM Nick Casario, and you guys out there for listening. You guys are the very best. We will see you tomorrow. Go Astros. Beat the Yankees. Hate that organization. Take care of sports hate, of course. Take care of them tonight, tomorrow, and whenever you play them, and get to that World Series. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. As always, go Texans.